mountain that I can or cannot see. Bigger than all the confusion, bigger than anything. God is bigger than any mountain that I can or cannot see.
this morning. And once I give you these texts, you may not even know what I'm going to be preaching on here in just a second. But I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And once you find 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, we'll be going to Romans chapter number 14. And then 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. Three different places we're going to be looking at uh, today. And if you fail to get what I just told you, I will tell you again here in just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 is where we're going to look first. Then we'll jump over to Romans 14. And then we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. I appreciate your prayers this week. Most of you did not know uh, this, but last Sunday was a, was a picture of grace. I can tell you this, I didn't know it at the time, uh, but after the fact, I found out that I had something called Campylobactera. You say, what in the world is that? Well, in, in AKA, it's a real rare uh, food poisoning that you get. Uh, as a matter of fact, the doctor said about 20 out of 100,000 people get it. Well, I was one of the lucky ones, so... Uh, last Sunday was grace, is all I can tell you, preaching. Monday and Tuesday was grace. You were there uh, Tuesday night over at Fellowship, but boy, I feel good this morning. Y'all might be in trouble, and uh, so all that's took care of, and I, I thank God. You know, you really don't really, you don't really appreciate how good you feel until you don't. Is that a good statement? You don't appreciate how good you feel until you don't, but I appreciate God's goodness and His help this week, and I appreciate the prayers of God's people. But this morning... The Lord has placed this on my heart. It's been a while uh, since I've never preached on this particular text that I'm preaching today as far as message-wise, but I got to thinking this week and was doing some studying and I had a lot of drive time yesterday and was thinking about this chewing, meditating in my mind when I got home and just compiled some things that the Lord put on my heart when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. It'll be something that will be for believers only. This is a little more in-depth message, more in-depth than I normally would do on a Sunday morning. But I believe it's needed. I believe it's necessary. It's the message of the hour that God's placed on our heart. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, and then I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts, and we'll go to the house. But I want you to notice in your Bible, we'll begin reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3 first, and then we'll go to Romans 14, then 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. As we look at this, all three of these particular passages that we're singling out, has to do with the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it's referred to in two different places, in 2 Corinthians 5 and then also in Romans 14. But notice in our text, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want to begin reading in verse number 6. The Apostle Paul, of course, is the human pen man, but the Holy Spirit of God is the one that uh, the supernatural agent that penned this down. And in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, the Bible said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase and that is still the only thing we can do too by the way we can sow the seed we can do the water but only God can give the increase man does not have the power to give the increase we can sow the seeds of the word of God we can water folks with the word of God but only God can give the increase but look at verse 7 so then neither is he that planteth anything neither he that watereth but God that giveth the increase. Now, we all need this. We've been focusing on this, seemed like the last week or two. I preached on the self-aholic, somebody that's addicted to themselves. A lot of folks think very highly of themselves. If you don't believe it, just ask them, and they'll tell you. Amen. Well, listen, it, it, the seed sowers and the seed waters is not the important ones. It's God that gives the increase. That's why he is to receive all honor. He is to receive all glory. He is to receive the preeminence. And God said right there that neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own 
labor. Now notice the phrasing. His own reward for his own labor. So there's rewards that will be meted out, and he explains that in greater detail. Look at verse 9. For we, and of course that is a, uh, this letter was penned to the church at Corinth, which was two believers. So he's talking to believers. For we are laborers together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. Now remember the three B's that the church is referred to. The church is referred to as a bride, as a body, and here in this text, as a building. And that's what the church, those that are saved, that's what we're referred to. Well, as the bride of Christ, the Lord Jesus is the bridegroom. As the body, the Lord Jesus is the head, and our head is seated in the heaven. That's why it's an impossibility for the church to go down. That, that liberal crowd and that, that Christ-rejecting crowd, and the church rejecting crowd that said the church is going down. I'm just here to tell you on the authority of the Word of God, that's an impossibility. The church can't go down because our head is seated in the heavens. But it's, the church is referred to as a bride, as a body, but also as a building with the Lord Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Now look with me in verse number 10. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Verse 11 is critical. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's the foundation in which we build upon as believers. How does a person go to heaven? It's through and by that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're trying to get there some other way, friend, you'll come up short. You'll never get to heaven. But I'm glad that foundation has been made. A lot of folks say, well, the church has got a lot of problems. I, I'll agree with that because the church is made up of imperfect people. But friend, we got a perfect salvation. we got a perfect Savior. Thank God we got a perfect head there in the heavenlies. But understand this, that there's no other foundation that, that, that can be laid other than the Lord Jesus. Now look at verse 12. Now if any man build upon this foundation upon Christ, of course this has to do with the believer's works after salvation. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, or in other words, it will be made known. It may seem cloudy now, you really can't see uh, what's going on, but every man's work, according to the Word of God, shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath uh, built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work uh, shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Now we're going to Romans 14, but just get this. The judgment seat of Christ does not have to do with sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Listen, at the judgment seat of Christ, the best way I can tell you is everybody wins and nobody loses. They just sung that song, I'm on the winning side. Daddy didn't know what I was preaching about. I didn't know what they were singing about, but I'm on the winning side. It's the impossibility for me to lose as a child of God. It's the impossibility for you to lose as a child of God. We ain't talking about salvation here, but we are talking about rewards. Now, rewards can be won, and they can be lost. But notice what your Bible said in Romans 14. The same, the same concept here is worded a little bit different. But Romans 14 and verse number 10 said this, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now here's what we like to do. 
lot of times we might try to point the finger at somebody and say, well, hey, they're doing this, they're doing that. Well, we really ought not do that because there's coming a day at the judgment seat of Christ where there's going to be a righteous judgment. Now, we don't have a righteous judgment, but God does. Amen. And he said, why do you judge your brother, man? Don't, don't be looking at somebody else because every one of us individually will personally give an account unto God. Can I get a witness right there? Now, look, and notice it's the judge stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Look at verse 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12. So then every one of us shall give account of his neighbor to God. That ain't what it said, is it? No, sir. It said every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's the important point, not to judge other people, because we're going to give account not for them, but of ourselves to God. Now go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. All three of these passages are talking about the same event, that is still yet future from this iron which I'm preaching. This message, the judgment, seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we, we love verse number 8. We talk about this. I even sent that out on the column all this week when Sister Pansy went home to be with the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, it said, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I'm glad that's a reality. I'm glad that is something that's going to take place when the child of God closes your eyes in death over here and your number is drawn and God dials your number. You leave out of here. Thank God if you're saved, you instantly, it don't take 10 minutes, Brother Ed, instantaneously, you're in the presence of the Lord. Well, notice what he said in verse number 9 with that, Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Why do I serve the Lord? Why do you serve the Lord? Why should I serve the Lord? Why should you serve the Lord to be acceptable of Him? In other words, to be well-pleasing unto Him. That ought to be the driving motivator of the factor of us doing anything for God is to live a life that is pleasing, not unto my neighbor, not necessarily unto my family, but unto God. Now look at verse 10. Why should I live a life that's acceptable of him? Well, for the Bible said in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Again, here he's talking to believers. That everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Now let's pray. Father... To bow in your presence, Lord, again, this morning, I thank you for the good singing we've already heard. Thank you for that good reunion day we heard about. And, Lord, thank you that you're bigger than any mountain, any problem we got. Lord, I sure do thank you. We're on the winning side with Jesus. And, Father, I pray that you'd add a blessing to the reading of your word. I pray it fall on good fertile soil. I pray that you'd motivate somebody, challenge somebody to do more than they've ever done for you. Lord, with this in mind, that one of these days we will stand personally and give account of ourselves, of things done in our body, whether good or bad. And I pray that you'd touch hearts. If there's one here today that's not prepared for eternity, never been saved, never been born again, God may today, may this very hour be the hour somebody walks the aisle and gives their heart and life to Jesus. But I pray for the child of God today, challenge us, meet every need, receive honor and glory, help me to decrease that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. We're going to thank you for what's done, for we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. We've read these several passages in, in 1 Corinthians 3, and that's where I primarily will be. Romans 14, and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
all lay out the same principles, really, of the judgment seat of Christ. And as you look at this, there are numerous judgments that are mentioned in the Bible. There's no such thing. There's a lot of folks that believe there's just one general judgment. Well, the only problem with that is it's not biblical. There's numerous judgments that are found in the Bible. And there's seven, really, that really stand out to us when you go back and you look at it. There's more than that, but seven really prime and main judgments that are found in the Word of God. We think about the judgment of sin. I'm going to build just a little bit of foundation right here, but think about the judgment of sin. Well, where did that take place, preacher? Well, I'm glad to tell you it took place at Calvary's cross over 2,000 years ago. And that is, that is the, the picture of the Word of God from the Old Testament looking forward to the New Testament, some of it looking backward to the cross. Today, we look backward 2,000 years ago when Jesus marched up Calvary's cross. He didn't die for his sin. He didn't have any sin, but he sure did die for mine. He died for you and the sins of the whole world and that was a day when God the Father poured out all, not some of the wrath but he poured out all the wrath of a holy God upon his dear darling righteous sinless guileless son he bore it all so you and I could be forgiven of sin once and for all he done it finally thank God that every sin payment was took care of when Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That was the judgment of sin. Today, you and I can be forgiven of sin based on a personal relationship with Jesus. How many times have you heard me say, our sin is one or two places. It's on us or it's on Christ. If it's on him, thank God it's been paid for. Well, how do I get it on him? Preacher, it's real simple. Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a substitutionary atonement. He took my place on the cross when by faith I trusted Christ as my Savior, my sin debt was canceled out. Amen. Past, present, future sins were canceled out. And it's all based upon God's judgment on sin. And we find that at Calvary when Jesus took our place. There's also the judgment of self. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Did you know that it's our responsibility to not judge others but to judge ourselves? Hey, no, well, listen to this. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, and of course the context of that, he was dealing with the Lord's Supper and Communion. But in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 31 and 32, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. There's one thing that we ought to do. Now, we're quick to point the finger at somebody else, but, but it's, sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror. <laughs> but that's what we're supposed to do. And if we would judge ourselves, it would keep the chastening hand of God off of our behind. Amen. Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loveth, he, he scourgeth and he chasteth every son whom he receiveth. We could avoid some chastening hand if we'd get our eyes off everybody else and get eyes on ourselves. Because if we judge ourselves, we're going to have confession so we stay in perfect fellowship with the Father. I hope that makes sense. I wish I could park out there for about 30 minutes, but i got to move on. I'm just hitting this in an introduction. But these judgments, there's a judgment of sin, and there's 
a judgment of self that it's up to us to do. That's why where Jesus said, uh, come take up your cross, follow me. And then he said to die, deny yourself. You know, your biggest enemy is not the devil. It's not the flesh. It's not the world. It's yourself. Brian's biggest enemy is Brian. Whether you like to agree with it or not, your biggest enemy is you. But God tells us that there ought to be some self-judgment, and it would keep the disciplined hand of the Lord off of us. Amen. If we would. So there's the judgment of sin, the judgment of self. There's the judgment seat of Christ we're going to talk about in just a moment. We also notice there's the judgment of Israel. And, of course, that's going to take place here on the earth at the end of the tribulation period. According to the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 20, before the children, before the children of Israel go into the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reigns of Christ, there's going to be a judgment of Israel, those that have survived through the great tribulation period. Then there's a fifth judgment, of course, the judgment of the Gentiles. That's laid out, of course, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 25, where it talks about the sheep and the goats and where there'll be separation. What's he talking about? Those Gentiles that make it through the tribulation period, there will be a a time there where they will be judged and and some will be separated. Some will be ushered in to that thousand-year reign of Christ as well. But those five judgments, then there's a sixth judgment of Satan and those fallen angels. We think about Jude, verse number 6. We think about 2 Peter, chapter 2, and verse number 4. And also Revelation, chapter number 20, where six times it talks about the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, at the end of those thousand years, because see right now, Satan is loose, seeking whom he may devour. But during that thousand-year reign of Christ, you read the first few verses of Revelation 20, he's going to have a great chain upon him, and the Lord's going to shut him up there for a thousand years and he's going to be unable uh, to work during that thousand year reign but at the end of that he's going to be loose for just a little season but then God the hammer of God's judgment is going to fall on him and his angels for the Bible said in Revelation 20 and verse number 10 of the devil that the seed then was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever so when you think about these seven Seven judgments, I mean, main judgments in the Bible. You got the judgment of sin took place at Calvary. The judgment of self, we are to judge ourselves. The judgment seat of Christ, which we're going to examine this morning with the help of God. We think about the judgment of Israel on earth right after the tribulation period. The judgment of the Gentiles right after the tribulation period. Then the judgment of Satan and his fallen angels at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. But then we think about the great white throne judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, that is for unbelievers only. Unbelievers all from from Adam's day all the way to the last person. That's where all the unbelieving dead, small and great, the Bible said, shall stand before God. And it's not a second chance. They've already had their opportunity. Death and hell is going to deliver them up. They're going to stand before God. And be cast into the lake of fire. What a tragic day that's going to be. Friend, if you're here today and you're lost and you've never been saved, that's where you're headed. You're headed to hell tonight or today apart from Christ. But then you'll come up there at the great white throne judgment. Again, it won't be a second chance at all. But then you'll be cast into not hell but into the lake of fire. Which burneth forever and ever and ever. We can't even fathom that. Where the worm dieth not, where the fire is not quenched, a place where the rich man eventually will go, and the devil and all of his angels. But thank God, all that can be avoided by turning from that sin to the Savior today. But those seven judgments that are found in the Word of God are of very, very big in, in importance. But what about the judgment seat 
of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14 calls it the judgment seat of Christ. What is it? Where will it be? Who will be judging? Who will be judged? Will there be rewards? Will there be regrets? I say absolutely. There's going to be rewards, but there will be regrets. I want to answer just a few of those questions. All these start with P. I want you to see the point. And when I'm talking about the point, I'm talking about that, that point in time. When is it going to take place? When will the judgment seat of Christ? And the judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. A lost man's not going to be there. 1 Corinthians 3, Romans 14, 2 Corinthians 5 have nothing to do with a lost man. This has to do with a saved man and a saved woman that their sins are forgiven, but they're standing in the presence of God and they're giving an account of themselves unto God of what they've done in their body since they've been saved, whether good, whether bad. Rewards will be given, but there will be Regrets, I can assure every, I'll make this guarantee, every one of us sitting in this building going to have some regrets. Every one of us. Now, if you're saved by the grace of God, the Bible said every man shall have, have praise of God. So you're going to get some praise as a child of God. The glory is going to be reflected back to the Lord, but there will be some regrets. And I want to challenge you this morning. Why should we do anything for God? If I could preach on this thought for just a second, I ain't talking about no soap opera, opera but I, I want to preach on the days of our lives. The days of our lives we know are numbered. The days of our lives are, are of great importance. God didn't save us to sit soaking sour and do nothing for Him. God saved us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, preach, what if I don't do anything? Well, there, you're going to be standing on that day with regrets on your heart and in your mind when you could have had a reward not to go through heaven and say, look at what I've done, but some rewards to lay at His feet and say, bless God, look at what He did. Amen. <laughs> the point, well... When's it going to take place? Well, it's going to take place when Jesus comes for his church at the rapture. Amen. That's the time when I believe, according to the word of God, that the judgment seat of Christ will take place. He's coming to get the bride of Christ. He's coming to get the building. He's coming to get the body. Listen, watch here in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse number 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. What day? That day when Jesus returns and that day that we stand in His presence and we give account of ourselves what's been done in our body since salvation. So Peter or Paul put it this way. If you remember one of those crowns, those five crowns, of course, that you can obtain, one of them he mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Henceforth there is laid it for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Well, when is that day? Well, the point of the judgment seat of Christ is, I believe, when Jesus comes against his church. We will be in his presence. For the Bible said, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where's it going to take place at? I mean, what, when's it going to be? I believe at the, at the rapture of the church. Somewhere closely thereafter, that's when we will give an account 
of ourselves to God. And that's the point. I believe the Bible, there's multiple other passages we could look at to describe that. That judgment's not going to be on earth. It's going to be with Him. And I believe at the rapture, who's the person that's going to be judging? You don't have to speculate long to see who that's going to be. John chapter 5 and verse number 22 said, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one that will be that will be judging on that day. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. I just read it a moment ago. Paul's talking about that crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. What day? The judgment seat of Christ. By the way, no excuses will be made on that day. We make all kinds of excuses today why we can't do anything. Well, can't never could do anything, but Philippians 4, 13 still said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We make all kinds of excuses. We just ain't got time to do anything for God, but we find time to do everything else. We'll wish to God one of these days we had done more for Christ. When we stand, that old song, remember that old song, Must I Go Empty-Handed? And my Savior meet, not, not one soul. With which to bring him. Lay no trophies at his feet. Must I go empty handed? I don't have to go empty handed. You don't have to go empty handed. But it's up to us. God equips us. God enables us. He, he empowers us to do what we could never do in and of ourselves. But it's a mindset, man. Be better work till Jesus comes. Because one day we're going to be in his presence. When, when's it going to be? That point of time at the rapture of the church. Who's going to be judging? The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Christ Jesus is the one that's going to judge us. Romans 14, sin said, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the easiest thing to understand about the judgment seat of Christ. He's the one that's going to be judged. So the point, where's it going to be? When? What time? I believe the rapture of the church at that day. When we're called up to be with the Lord, I believe that's when it's going to take place. The person is going to be judging none other than the Lord Jesus. Well, where's the place? I believe it'll be in heaven. I believe it's going to be in the Father's house. You say, now why is that? You remember John 14? What Jesus said in verse 1? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's going to prepare that place. He made this promise. I'm coming back to get you, man. But in the Father's house, that's where we're going to be. That's where that judgment is going to take place. The point, when's it going to take place, preacher? At the rapture. The person that's going to be judging. None other than the Lord Jesus Christ because it's called the judgment seat of Christ. What's the place? It's the Father's house when we get into his presence at the rapture. That's where it's going to take place. But what about the people? Who are the people that are going to be given account that day? Well, again, this is for believers only. Romans 14, 12 said, so then every one of us, that's plural, and it's referring to believers, not lost people. Lost people will stand at the great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. But the judgment seat of Christ at the rapture, that's where believers will give that account 
unto the Lord. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Notice 1 Corinthians 3, 9 again in your Bible. For we, there it is again, plural. For we are labors together with God. You're God's husbandry. You're God's building. That building, another reference to the church of the living God. You got the body, you got the bride, and you got the building with Jesus being that chief cornerstone. That's the people that's going to be judged, believers. But here's where I really want to look. You see the point. When's it going to take place, preacher, to rapture? Who's the person that's going to judge? It's the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to be doing it. Where's the place in the Father's house there after we're raptured out of here? The people, that's for believers only. But what's the purpose, Brother Harold? What is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? Everything that God does, he's got a plan He's got a purpose. Sometimes he has a program for it all, but he's got a reason behind it. And, and all of it is for him to get the glory. Amen. But what is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? It's not a judgment of sin. Because, again, sin was took care of on Calvary's cross. A lot of folks have got this idea, and there's a lot of people just, they can't get it in their mind. they got this concept, well, that's where my good, if my good outweighs my bad, then God will let me in. It has nothing to do with sin, man. At this particular point, the reason that you're in His presence is because your sins have been forgiven. Amen. Listen now, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. My forgiveness, oh, listen, Brother Ed, my forgiveness ain't based on my goodness. It ain't based on my badness. My forgiveness is based on His riches. And friend, you'll never be able to spend what God has at His disposal. He's got a vast supply. My forgiveness is not based on what I do, but what he did over 2,000 years ago on a rugged cross. So get out of your mind. The judgment seat of Christ has nothing to do with sin. Sin's been, been took care of. 1 John 2, 12 said, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. See, I'm forgiven because of His name's sake, not because of me, not because of what I do, what I don't do. My sin is forgiven because I got a personal relationship with the one that was able to sign my pardon, to set me free, to cut me loose of the bondage and the shackles, to pick the chains that had me bound. Glory to God, I'm going to heaven forgiven of sin because of Jesus and Him alone. This judgment ain't got nothing to do with sin. Romans chapter 8, verse number 33. Get this now. Romans 8, 33. Just to build upon this fact, this judgment has nothing to do with sin. Romans 8, 33 asks the question, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. When God forgives us a sin, there's nothing that can trump that. There's no other judicial authority in the universe God is the only authority. He's the final authority. Who can lay anything to the, uh, for, to the elect? Nobody can. Verse 34 said, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also maketh intercession for us. Thank God our sins are forgiven. Now, by the way, 
This is a concept. I've had more questions about this, Brother Ed. And a lot, a lot of it comes from people that's not in church. But I've had this question of folks that's in church. Brother Brandon, they'll say, well, now, now, preacher, what if when I die, I hadn't confessed my sin? It don't matter. If you're saved, confession is based upon fellowship with God. Now, there's a lot of individuals that maybe we call backsliding. But backsliding is an exclusive Old Testament term. You can get out of the will of God. That's more of a lined up with, with New Testament thinking, being out of the will of God. There's people that are saved that are not Christians. You know, there's a difference between a Christian and a believer, right? A believer is someone that's forgiven other sin. A Christian is somebody that's Christ-like. Not all believers are Christ-like. Amen. Amen. They're not. I have no idea. Where was I going with that, Brother Brandon? Help me right here. Where was I going? Because I ain't got a clue. I was talking about something before I just made that statement. Well, if y'all can't remember, I sure can't remember. Lord have mercy. Somebody ain't listening right. I didn't get that point across one. But listen, when it comes to forgiveness of our sin, it's, it, listen, Jesus has, oh, I know where I was going. Here we are, here we are. Here we, thank you, Lord, thank you. The questions that come. They'll say, well, what, what, what's going to happen to that sin that I hadn't confessed to? Again, it's going to be, t- if you're saved, your past, present, and future sins were took care of. Never to be remembered again. It's cast into the depths of the sea. Now, I don't want to meet God out of the will of God. I don't want you to meet God out of the will of God. But the judgment seat of Christ is not where you answer for sin. Because, again, that sin is on one of two places. It's on you or it's on Christ. But there's a lot of people got this, this baloney philosophy and theology. Oh, well, I guess they, they died and went to hell because they, they were living in sin and they never got right with God. Well, think about this. What if you're going down the road, Brother Randy, and all of a sudden one of these bicycles come out and, and, and maybe you hit them and they fly through the windshield and they end up killing you? And there's a bad thought going through your... That's a bad scenario, but I'm just saying. That'd be a, a tragic deal there, but I'm just saying. Maybe you said a bad word or thought went through your mind, and boom, you're instantly, you're dead. Where do you go? Hey, if you say by the grace of God, you go to be in His presence. Amen! Period! You see, our sin's either been dealt with or it's not been. Thank God. And that does not give us a license to sin, by the way. I even had a lady tell me years ago, she said, well, preacher, I'm going to go ahead and sin because I know God's going to forgive me and I'm just going to go up. Man, that's dangerous. <laughs> I mean, flat out dangerous. But this is not a judgment of sin. It's what I'm trying to get. Well, what is the purpose of the judgment seat of Christ? Here it is. Notice in your Bible, look at verse number 12. Notice what the Bible said, 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, what foundation? The foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, you're saved by the grace of God. We begin to live this life as victorious believers in Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. I want you to notice that it's not the, the quantity of the work, but it's the quality of the work. He gives three classes of valuable things and three classes of invaluable. He gives things of worth and then things that are worthless. Notice verse 13. It's not the size of the work that's going to be called into question. It's the sort 
of work. Look at verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest or made known, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Not what size it is, but what sort it is. You see, there's folks that are in the backwoods, the North Carolina, the mountains of Virginia, mountains of West Virginia, might just have a handful of people. God's not going to judge them on the size of the ministry God's called them to. It's going to be the sort of work. It ain't about the quantity. It's about the quality. It's not about the size. It's about the sort. That's what we're going to be called into question. Romans 14, 12 puts it this way. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That's what it is in a nutshell. It's where I'm going to give account, Brother Ed, to God of myself. Brother Ed, it's where you're going to give account of yourself to God on that day. What am I going to give account of? Well, did I build upon with wood, hay, stubble? Or did I build with gold, silver, precious stones? Did I use things that were enduring, that had eternal value or not? All that will be made manifest. It'll be made known. The smoke will settle. The dust will clear. Rewards will be divvied out if there are any. If not, It'll be burned up, but according to the Word of God, you'll be saved, yet so as by fire. That's why I said there's no losers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're all winners. But some are going to walk away with more rewards than others for the life that they lived for the cause of Christ. We ought not want to stand in His presence unprepared. But our stewardship... We'll be on full display. Again, this is not a judgment of sin. If we could put it this way, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of sin. It's a judgment of service. That's the service that we're rendered during our Christian life. Now, I want you to get this because this is very important. This is where people get confused. I want you to get this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. I've already hit on this just a little bit. But the Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And that good or bad, Brother Harold, that's where people get monkeyed up, and that's where they get to think about, well, if, my, if I got enough good and there's enough weight over here, then that'll, out, that'll, that'll outdo my bad. But I, I want you to get something here. Our, our understanding of good and bad is also often clouded by our misunderstanding of the word. You know, I think about this, and I, w- I want to show you something. When you, think about, when you think about bad in the Bible, and when it comes to Greek, there, and listen, I'm not going to give you some Greek lesson, but some of that reflects back on the studies of, uh, of Greek when I went through that. There are several different words that are used, especially in the New Testament. One is found in Matthew 13, where the word bad is used. Matthew 22, bad is used. And then right here in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, the word bad is used in all three of those. Although it's translated bad in English, they all have three different meanings when it comes to bad. You say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? I just want to show you something here. I'm going to flip back and you jot this down. Now, Matthew 13, this has the, I want you to listen to the word bad. Now, this has to do at the end of the age. And, and Matthew 13 and verse number 47 talks about this, this net. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down, listen, and gathered the good 
into vessels that cast the bad away. He's talking about good and bad in that context of Matthew 13. He goes on to say in verse 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. He's talking about good and bad. In verse 48, but the bad that is here in Matthew 13 is a different word that is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The bad that is found in Matthew 13 has the idea of rotten, corrupt, and degenerate. You think about degenerate deist. That's something that, that break down over time. Well, think about this has to do with moral and ethical behavior. This net was gathered in and they looked the good, was put in vessels and the bad, was cast away into fire. That bad moral and ethical behavior, that's what that bad means. Then you go over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, remember that great supper that was bidden? And a lot of them didn't come, Brother Harold, remember that? What Jesus say? Go out into the highways and the hedges. You compel them to come in. Well, listen to this. Matthew 22, you'll find good and bad again right here. Matthew 22 and verse number 9. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out in the highways and gathered together as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Now, the bad here has to do with evil and unrighteous people. That is moral, and that's ethical again. Both of those two bads in Matthew 13 and Matthew 22 has to do with moral and ethical failure. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that's not the, that's not the bad that is used. The bad that is used that I just read to you out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 where it said that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That bad translated right there, it, it's not talking about something moral or something ethical. It's talking about something that is worthless or valueless, something that's bad. Now, let's give you an example. Let's say, and I, I don't think there's a Johnny in here. Let's say, uh, Brother Danny, we'd say, well, Johnny went out and he made a bad decision and, and he cheated on his wife, so he was a bad boy. We'd say, well, that's moral and that's ethical. We could say, oh, Susie went out here and she got on the phone, she got on face junk, and, and she started texting people and started gossiping about people and said, well, Susie's been a bad girl. That's moral and that's ethical. But then we could say, well, Brian made a bad decision because he ate that piece of chicken that, sh that was raw and ended up getting Camp Pilobactera. <laughs> now, that wasn't moral. That wasn't ethical. It was just something that was worthless, something that was useless, something that was of no value. You see the difference between the two? Something that's worthless. Here when he said we'll, we'll receive the good and the bad done in our body, those things that have eternal weight, man, they're going to stand the test of time. Those that don't have eternal value will be cast. Let's put it this way. Let's say I could go mowing my yard. That's not nothing. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing moral, nothing ethically wrong about that. But there's no eternal. Listen to me now. There's no eternal value with me mowing my yard. 
I got news for you. There ain't no moral value with you. Or or there's there's no eternal value with you mowing your yard. Say, so, well, I'm going to go fishing. There ain't nothing wrong with fishing. There ain't nothing moral or ethical about that as long as you don't lay out of the house of God. But just get this. Uh, doing that, there's no eternal value there. But what about handing a gospel tract to somebody? How about quiet time in your Bible? How about praying to the God of heaven? How about giving somebody a call that's struggling, going through a hardship in their life? That's eternal weight. That's eternal value. That is the gold. That is the silver. That is the precious stones that will stand the fire. That's where rewards are. But everybody else that never put, has the eternal places, eternal value on things and on the souls of men and the souls of women and the things of God, all that's going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. Now, basically, that's what it boils down to. Eternal value. It's what I'm doing today. It's what I'm doing tomorrow, if the Lord permits it. Is that of eternal value? Or is it of worthless? Is it bad? That's the meaning here. Is it bad? Is it worthless? Is it useless? There'll come a day we stand before God and listen. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. I'm a firm believer this thing. None of us is going to be pushing to get to the front of the line at the judgment seat of Christ. Amen. None of us are. Will rewards be handed out? You better believe they will be. Again, it's not for us to go through heaven and show off what we've done, but we're to show off what He did. We'll lay those crowns at His feet. But understand, one of these days, we will stand in His presence. I'll close with this. Sister Savannah's coming. The Lord's also going to examine during that day and test our motives, our mindset, our conduct, our behavior, our service for Him. When we give account of our stewardship. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. Well, when He comes, that's when He's going to judge. Who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. Now, I want you to get this. I don't want this to be a negative thought or concept in your mind. Again, there's no losers at the judgment seat of Christ because you've been forgiven of sin. We're standing in his presence. You'll be a victor. But man, I don't want to go empty-handed. I want to be a good steward. God has entrusted me and he's entrusted you with everything we have. Now, it's what we doing and what we're doing. Is it of eternal value, such as gold, silver, precious stone, something that is enduring? Or is it more self-focused, fleshly-focused, earth-focused, that wood, hay, and stubble? Friend, all that's going to be burned up one of these days. And at the end of the day, there'll be no excuses. All of us had that opportunity. Will there be rewards? Absolutely. Will there be regrets? You better believe they will be. Because understand, this will take place, I believe, right when the rapture takes place. The great white throne judgment is at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. Revelation 21 and verse number 4, God don't wipe the tears away until after the great white throne judgment, after the judgment seat of Christ. Although our sins will be forgiven. Man, think about the wasted years and the wasted opportunities. Some of you might be way on up in years. Say, preacher, I really ain't done much for God. You still listen to me. You still got an opportunity. Yeah, you can still get in that Bible. You can still witness somebody. You can still share your faith. You can still be an encourager. Send a letter. Send a card. Uh, send a fax. Whatever you need to do to try to encourage somebody along the way. That's building something that is eternal. Something that is everlasting. And something that won't be burned up. In the fire. That's just the days of our lives. One of these days will be brought before us. 
Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meet service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you're loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16, it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. 
Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? But first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked Him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us, and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here, and may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.